Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cecilu Mitzwash. And we are your hosts. This week, our Dr. Sarah Walsh will be interviewing Professor Kirash Khosratarani about a study about the clinical utility of skin cancer and melanoma risk scores for population screening. Essentially, this paper came from the idea of uh, whether we can use risk scores for keratinocyte cancers and for melanoma in the clinical setting. This was a volunteer skin check clinic that we were going to set up, and uh, we thought, well, why don't we start by doing a risk score in every patient? and then categorize their risk and then see what we're going to find on their skin secondarily. In a moment, you'll be able to hear for which cancers it worked and for which it didn't. And more about a yachting festival. Yes, you heard that right. But first... The next EADV live webcast will be on Wednesday the 13th of October at 2 p.m. European time. The topic... Anogenital warts and genital herpes myths and management with Professor Com O'Mahony and Dr. Peter Greenhouse. And if you're not an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 17 medical journals, including EADV's esteemed JEADV, over 20 textbooks, reduced fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to eadv.org under membership for more information. And now? Professor Kosha Terani is a clinician scientist, dermatologist at the University of Queensland Diamantina Institute in Brisbane, Australia. His keen interest and practice, as well as his laboratory work, is on the diagnosis, management, and prevention of cancers of the skin. EADV School Committee member Dr. Sarah Walsh got to catch up with him on some of his newest research. Let's have a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this EADV podcast. Um, I'm delighted to be here today with uh, Kirash uh, Khosratarani, um, a professor of dermatology uh, in Brisbane, Australia. My name is Sarah Walsh. I'm a general dermatologist um, and head of department at King's College Hospital in London. And I was really delighted to be invited to chat to you about this paper today, Kirash. Do you want to start by just giving us a brief summary of what you set out to do in this paper? No, certainly. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, essentially, this paper came from the idea of uh, whether we can use risk scores for keratinocyte cancers and for melanoma in the clinical setting. So um, this was a volunteer uh, uh, skin check clinic that we we're going to set up. And uh, we thought, well, why don't we start by doing a risk score in every patient and then categorize their risk and then see what we're going to find on their skin secondarily. And uh, and so essentially, in a, a very short summary, uh, the risk scores work uh, really well for all the keratinocyte cancers. So BCC, SCCs, they didn't work as well for melanoma. And, uh, you know, we can discuss why. Fantastic. And I noticed the setting was a very uh, particular one. It was a yachting festival uh, off, on an island off the coast of Australia. Who, who's I, whose genius idea was that? <laughs> it, I, I, actually, this was our third time going to this event uh, for uh, for setting up this uh, this clinic. So this is in, in Hamilton Island. It's an annual race, uh, which is uh, very popular. And... Um, 
and uh, it's actually a charity that uh, initially contacted us. So we're we're part of the Skin and Cancer Foundation Queensland, uh, which is non for profit as well. So we decided to pair with them initially the first year, and uh, and uh, and it was extremely well received because a lot of these people live on boats and they never <laughs> they never get a chance to actually see a doctor. And also. Uh- I'm guessing I'm guessing no difficulty persuading residents to volunteer to go with you to the set if it's a, a week on a tropical island. Um, this, this, this setting, though, Hamilton Island, I guess it's a very particular climate and um, the demographic you were dealing with. You've already mentioned that they spend a lot of time outdoors. And um, I guess, do you feel that the results of your study are more generalizable, you know, perhaps to people living in a in a sort of a temperate climate? No, absolutely. Uh, I, th- I think I think that's that's one of the limitations we we pointed uh, as well in the in the discussion. Um, I have to say the uh, out of the um, you know uh, five hundred or, or eight hundred people that we saw in um, in that uh, in that clinic, a lot of them are actually don't live on the island, so they they're just here for the race, and uh, and they're coming from you know southern Australia, so uh, you know relatively cold climates from Melbourne, from Sydney, a lot of people from Sydney. Um, and and there is only a, a, a fraction actually of, of people who are residents of, uh, of Northern Queensland. And uh, so, so that's why actually, if you look at the risk profile, we had actually a range uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of risk profiles. But when we compare that range and the uh, and some of the answers that they gave to the questionnaires about their tanning ability and their skin type and how much they were exposed in the sun, yes, they were they were it, this was definitely a good population, you know, even compared to people living in Queensland. Yeah, and how closely did the cohort in this study? How did it compare in terms of demographics to the study in which you you developed the screening tool? Because I read the other paper where you developed the screening tool from a quite a, a much broader random sample of Queensland population. Is that is that right? That's correct. So you're referring to the Q skin cohort. So this is a cohort of uh, forty one thousand people that's uh, you know are you know selected through the uh, randomly uh, picked up from the electoral roll. So. Um, so obviously, this this cohort at, at Hamilton Island was younger, um, and uh, and they were, um, you know, they they actually had a better ability to tan uh, compared to the to the general population. You know, I think not a, not everyone can cope uh, being on a boat, you know, for long periods of time and and so on. So there is a bit of natural selection there. Um, so, so yes, there, there were there were really notable differences there. And does the fact that um, it was a screening event at a yachting race did that impact upon the the socioeconomic group that was was partaking in it? Because I'm I'm thinking in certainly in Europe and you know the British Isles, yachting is a is a is a pastime a leisure activity that attracts sort of the higher socioeconomic groups. And I, I I'm guessing you know that probably leads to a different set of behaviors with regard to sun protection and awareness about skin cancer and uh, have you any comment on that yeah so so that's a that's a very good question actually we we were worried about that ourselves especially the first year who were like well we're going to go and there's going to be you know all these you know 
very rich people, no one's going to come to the clinic, you know, uh, <laughs> they won't care about some random dermatologist being there. But actually, a third of people who show up at, at these clinics are people who work on the island. So in, um, in restaurants, in, in uh, you know, uh, hotels and, and, and so on. So, so there is a lot of people actually that are staff of, of uh, you know, tourism sector on the island. And then on the other um, the other groups, actually the uh, the the big boats with uh, you know luxurious boats are actually a handful. There's a lot of uh, you know mom and dad uh, type of uh, you know thing with uh, with their small boat, and and a lot of people who just live on their boats. So so there is a there was a quite broad range, I think. Yeah, a broad, broad sort of selection. Because I, I think I read in preparation for this, I read back your um, JID paper from 2016, which showed quite a good um, uh, level. Of, you know, level of education was inversely correlated with uh, keratinocyte cancer. Is this something you see in your day-to-day practice on the mainland? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, the. Uh, I mean, again, you know, the understanding and applicability of uh, of the um, uh, sun protection measures, and uh, you know, this this plays a big role, and and uh, you know, very. Um, uh, you know something very pedestrian, which is the cost of sunscreen, and uh, and uh, you know it's not cheap when you want to apply it every day. Uh, so it just uh, it just adds up. In in a study for transplant patients, we calculated that uh, people had to spend about uh, three hundred dollars every three months, three hundred Australian dollars every three months on sun protective measures, and um, significant, yeah, significant amount of money, yeah. And and just trying to think a little bit about because I'm sure you have the, the the broader implications of what you did. So the impact of risk stratification tools outside the second the setting of secondary or tertiary care. And um, I mean, do you feel that um, there's a role for risk stratification tools in terms of guiding uh, referral management for primary care and perhaps guiding? Uh, risk reduction strategy education. Absolutely, I mean that's that's the fantastic question, Sarah. <laughs> the, um, so so this study actually came from a, uh, a summit that uh, we organized in Brisbane about uh, melanoma screening, and uh, and so the questions of the summit were: Well, we have you know all these new tools, all this new AI. You know, are we really in a different situation now than we were ten years ago? And can we now? reasonably launch a, a melanoma screening and and some of the conclusions of that summit was that well we can't and uh, and you know we need to uh, to have uh, risk stratification tools and uh, and and make sure that uh, these are effective so that we we screen the high risk populations um, to to have cost effective screening tools and so on so so this is part of that exercise is to try to understand you know what would be the distribution of of uh, cancer and lesions across that risk spectrum, and uh, and so the big question that this study that we did does not answer is where do you put the threshold? You know what what are the implications of saying well I'm not going to screen people below that threshold and uh, and I'm going to just screen the other ones, so so that's a whole different <laughs> a very complex question yeah and of course i imagine that threshold setting would vary a huge amount according to context you know uh, in the yachting population you're dealing with very high risk content you know uh, it, it would vary enormously i think you know based on geographic socioeconomic factors so there won't be i, I wouldn't imagine one size fits all 
And just slight change of tack. Um, I was interested just in terms of the broader question of participation in research. You made a comment in the paper that the older patients in the cohort had more of a tendency to agree to participate in the research whereas the younger patients attending the screening were less likely to do so. And I have to say that 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 sort of surprised me and perhaps disappointed me a little bit that the younger people weren't willing to participate. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very strange dynamic there because, you know, the uh, so the race started at, uh, at about 10 o'clock. So a lot of people have to rush to do their screening before 10 o'clock because at 10 o'clock the, 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 the town was going empty. <laughs> so, so that's, I think, I think that plays a big role. I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the younger ones maybe had difficulties waking up from their party the night before. <laughs> All hungover. <laughs> they just made it barely to their boats. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's actually a more reassuring answer. They were not interested in research. <laughs> they were just partying too hard. That's good. That's good. And I'm also quite interested, and the, the reason being that I actually, for the last few years at my tennis club, have run a very similar event uh, once a year for, for, for charity, for, for a skin cancer charity, where I offer to screen members for skin cancers. And I was just wondering, in the um, cohort who attended for this voluntary screening, how many of them came in with a specific lesion that they wanted checked and how many came for just a general look uh, examination? Look, very, very few, very few. I, I don't have exact numbers, but very few came for a specific lesion. Uh, so it, it was, there was a lot of people just coming and a lot of them had, uh, this was the first time that they were actually seeing a, a dermatologist or any, any skin check. So, and were surprised by sometimes how many lesions we could find on them. So, uh, so it was, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where you feel that you're, you're actually providing a service and, uh, and the uh, and and as I was saying in the beginning, you know, this was our third time doing it. So some of these people actually had made that as their routine skin check. <laughs> so and then every year they were they were coming to us, and uh, and and uh, so it, it's uh, unfortunately we haven't done it. That was the last time. So since then there was COVID because of the the pandemic. Yeah. So so what you're saying is most of the time when you found something, be it a basal cell carcinoma or whatever you were telling them and it was a surprise to the patient. They had not anticipated that they had that they had a skin cancer. Yeah. And were you able in the context of the clinic to offer treatment in that session setting or? Yes. So, the, so the first year, that was the really frustrating part. And, and it was almost uh, difficult medical legally because we could identify lesions, but we could, we didn't have, we didn't bring the tools or didn't think about it. So we were in the tent and we would just circle things, take pictures and then ask them to, sort it out with their with their um, with their GPs or their doctors and then it took us a, a massive effort to actually phone everyone to make sure they had done so <laughs> the, after after the race was finished but for the subsequent years the two subsequent ones we actually brought a bigger team and uh, and and had so we could at least do the biopsy do some of the curettes some of the simple things simple excisions if there was a melanoma uh, uh, suspected. So yes, mm -hmm. we, we did provide a, a fair a fair number of biopsies. Oh, and it sounds like study, an yeah. fantastic service. Yeah, in 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 the study, actually, the, all the uh, all the his, all the skin cancers are histologically proven by you know by the biopsies that we did during the clinic. Yeah. 
which is a huge a huge strength of of the study. And uh, tell me, Kirash, what, what is your next direction with these uh, screening stratific- risk stratification tools? Where would you like to take it next? What projects do you have in the pipeline? So it's actually to, to address your questions. The, um, so, uh, so my colleagues at, at uh, QIMR Berghofer, who run the QSkin cohort, uh, they're, they've been uh, looking into applying these risk stratification tools into GP clinics. So, uh, you know, can it be applied in the really the general populations in, in, uh, in GP general practice setting uh, and, uh, and doing very similar sorts of, uh, of analysis. So, uh, so I think this is a study that uh, they're about to publish or they've just published. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's really the important part, you know, in, in, uh, in, in Queensland, you know, we've, as, as, as you know, we have one of the highest incidents of, uh, of, of skin cancer and, uh, and melanomas, you know, 80% of them are, are diagnosed by GPs. So it's really about bringing it into kind of the primary care setting and yeah, I guess focusing on early detection, early diagnosis you know, incredibly important everywhere, but particularly, as you say, in, in your in your setting. And um, well, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you this morning, Karash. Uh, I'm really grateful for you participating. And will you be continuing at the Yachting Festival next year, do you think? I hope so. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Likewise for me in my tennis tournament screening. Yes, yes. I'd be glad to come and help in your tennis tournament. <laughs> Maybe we can we can have we can have an exchange program. I'll go to Hamilton Island. You you come to London for tennis. There we go. Let's settle on this. No, great great pleasure to talk to you. And we're back in the studio, Dr. Walsh. It's clear you enjoyed speaking to Professor Kazratorani. What are your reflections on the interview? Well, yeah, Chris, he was a fascinating um, colleague to speak to. I mean, I was intrigued by the paper when I read it. And I have to say, I did wonder, given the huge discrepancy in the settings for the paper with him in, Mm -hmm. you know, semi-tropical Australia and me in rainy Britain. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, the, 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 the project actually had a lot of resonance with me. And I'm sure, um, while maybe not directly findings that could be extrapolated to a very, very different setting where I work, many of the principles were very, very valid. And I guess then on a more on a more personal level, I was just hugely impressed at the philanthropy behind the initiative. Uh, I mean, to move uh, all of those dermatology personnel and to shift all of the huge resource uh, that clearly went into this project to what would I'm imagining ordinarily be a relatively resource poor setting was incredibly impressive. And, you know, it's interesting to try to think about the magnitude of the public health impact um, that that initiative will have had and hopefully will continue to have in the future. So, you know, huge kudos to um, Professor Kosra Torani. Dr. Walsh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's certainly an interesting way to study population screening. Right. Sometimes you have to think outside of the box to get the data you need. Now, besides Professor Kosra Terani's research, he's also the president of the Australasian Society for Dermatology Research, ASDR, which is a not-for-profit scientific society gathering skin enthusiast scientists in Australia, New Zealand and beyond to improve and share knowledge of the biology of the skin and its pathologies to improve the health and well-being of individuals. The ASDR is an associate member of the International Society of Investigative Dermatology. And so, 
we would like to thank Professor Kozra Terani for sharing his research with us and to Dr. Walsh for moderating the conversation. And we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.